We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. You know, when you get old, like me, when you get older, some of you guys are older, huh? You won't admit it, man. You know, I just was thinking about this. Sometimes, you know, when you're young, some of you here are young, and you get down on the ground, you sit down, maybe you're Indian style. I mean, you could just spring up like that, huh? You're like, cool. But then when you get older, like some of us, especially some of you, it's okay. It's all right. And it's hard to get you off the floor, huh? And so you're like, help. You know, or maybe my kids, you know, I'll be honest with you. I think most teenagers are like that. Maybe not all, I don't know, but all the ones that I've ever got to know, it's hard to pry them out of bed sometimes, huh? And so I'll tell my son, because he's like this, and I'll just say, Aaron, just reach out your hand. Just let me know that you want to get out of bed. That's all it takes. And I'll grab your hand and I'll pull you out. <laughs> you know, I think sometimes we just need that help. We need that help. You know, and, and today's study, I, I, I kind of want to see it that way. I think like a lot of us, maybe because we've been older and Christians, you know, or, or for whatever reason, maybe it's because we're immature. We need to, we need to like, we need someone help us, help us up, help us get out of bed, help us rise up. Because man, we're just like glued to the ground or we're, you know, we're asleep and we're living, we are living in the last of the last days. I mean, we're, you guys, we're the generation. You know, you've seen the batons that are passed, and I'm sure you've seen the races, right? And they pass the baton, and it goes to the, the first one's got it, and the second one's got it, and the third one's got it, and then the last one has the baton. And then in one sense, although it's a contribution from all the runners, in one sense, the victory in many, in many ways is dependent on how they will run that final leg. And you guys, that's who we are. I believe that we're the generation. I believe that the fig tree of Israel has, you know, been given life. And I believe, you guys, that Jesus is coming so soon. And, and today's study, I'm going to just share with you a few things. It's a kind, of, kind of a complicated study, but I'm just going to say, try to make it simple. I'm going to try my best to make it simple because that's kind of the way I think. But number one is to rise up. Uh, number two is to open up. Uh, your Bible. Number three is to listen up. Number four is to speak up. And then number five is to look up. Why? Because the Lord is coming. And we're going to see that in our study today. Now, one of the things about the study, just to give you a little preface before we get into it, is uh, um, it's one of those studies that in one sense it's a little complicated. Now, when you study the Bible, some of it is milk. Some of it's super simple to understand. But there are some parts of the Bible that require more study, more diligence, more prayer, more concentration. And that's kind of where we are now in this section of Daniel. We're almost done, but still, it's kind of hard. It's kind of like when you started off in school, you learn your arithmetic, your math, your, you know, your maybe division, multiplication. Not too bad, right? I mean, I think most of us know those, right? But then you start getting into algebra, right? And algebra 2, geometry is not too bad, but then you get into trigonometry. Oh, no, calculus. 
statistics? Did we not hate those classes, kind of? They're very difficult to understand at times, right? I, 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 I think that in one sense, though, if you apply yourself, you do your homework, you know, you're going to get it. That's kind of the way it is now. You know, I believe God lives in you, and he's the one that wrote the book, and he'll help you understand it. But if you're not really interested in it, it's going to be real difficult. It's just going to fly over your head. And so right here, I want to encourage you guys, everybody, if you need to go back, and Daniel will probably get you a Red Bull from 7-Eleven if you need one of those, or maybe a cup of coffee or something. I don't know. But put your spiritual antennas up. And if at the end of the study you still have questions, because I know that a lot of times I, I, I probably don't do that great of a job of presenting the material to you, then this is my encouragement to you. You write a question on the cards right there. Say, hey, dude, you didn't you know, cover this verse, or I wonder about that. And you put it, the question in there and you put it in the back of the uh, agape box. And sooner or later we'll cover the questions. Either we'll get back to you personally or maybe we'll make you famous and we'll address it from the pulpit and say, hey, Bob asked this question. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk about it. Because I really pray that you understand what we're studying. Because look what we read here in Daniel 11. Notice in verse 33 it says, And those of the people who understand shall instruct many... Yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue. And some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. Now we're going to see in verses 33 this battle that took place in the past, the battle of the past, and then we'll see in 36 through 45 the battle of the future. In verses 33 and 35 we're talking kind of about the Jews in the context of Antiochus IV Epiphanes, and then in verse uh, 36 through 45 we're talking not about Antiochus, we're talking about Antichrist and the Jews in that time frame. Now I know we just kind of dove into this, so if you haven't been with us, you're like, what is he talking about? Well, we're talking about that time when Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who was a picture of the Antichrist, when he was persecuting the Jews. And he killed 80,000 Jews. He took 40,000 and he put them into you know, lockdown, some type of prison, and he took another 40,000 and he sold them as slaves. Antiochus was persecuting them. Antiochus was putting them to death. Antiochus was possessed by the devil. It was the devil trying to destroy the work of God. It was the devil trying to destroy the people of God. He did it then, and he's trying to do it now. He's trying to destroy you. That's what he's, tr he's trying to destroy your family. He's trying to destroy your children, our church. And so when we look at this, and again, this is a prophecy written in 536 B.C. It began to take place around 200, then 167 B.C. These things began to happen. You know, what do you do? What do you do when the devil is going full force and he's beginning to knock down your kids one by one? 
When the devil's beginning to go through and you see him in the church and that one's not there and that one's not there and they're not walking with the Lord anymore, what do you do? Well, that's what we read right here. He, in that context and in that setting, it says there in verse 33, and those are the people who understand shall instruct many. What we find was this is a prophecy of uh, the rise of Mattathias the priest who had five sons, one of them Judas Maccabee, he was known as the hammer, and they rose up, right? And against the devil, with all his artillery, he had 1.5 million square miles of resources and he had all his army this, this little band of Jewish followers, they rose up. And that's why I was trying to tell you, we may not be big, but we can learn God can save with many or with few. And we can rise up. And it says right here, and those that understand shall instruct many. And so we rise up. And we open up our Bibles and we begin to understand it. You know, you begin to study your Bible. I believe that what the Lord is talking about right here is there would be a people who would read this, they would read prophecy, they would understand prophecy, they would read the scriptures and they would learn about their God and they would understand their God. And to me, that's the most important thing is to know my God, to know how powerful He is, to know how how loving he is, to know how he responds to prayer, to know what he requires of me as a husband and as a dad and as a servant of the Lord, to understand. Because then when I understand, you know, about God and about his word and even about prophecy, then in a time when the devil is doing his damage and the way that the devil does his damage is primarily through lies, I can come, we can come, you can go and give the truth. And you can, like it says right here, and those of the people who understand shall instruct many. You go out and you start teaching, you start sharing. Uh, some versions say they, they instruct, they teach the masses. That's how God would have his people gain the victory in such a wicked time. You know, it's interesting when you read the book of Daniel how this word understand or understandings is found 23 times. It's important for us, not just you guys, whatever you do. And that's why I was encouraging you, if you have questions, you know, let us know. But it's so important that you come and, and that you understand what you're being taught and you understand what the Bible says. And if you don't understand, you research it, you pray over it, you ask questions if necessary because, you know, the understanding element is part of the way that we have the victory this is our sword, and we swing it, right? And so, you know, I remember that time in Luke 24, 45, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, and it says, and he opened their understanding. Luke 24, 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And it's so important for us to have that. God wants us to comprehend. He wants us to understand. He wants us to know him and know his word so that we can then go out and spread his word. It says right here, and they would instruct many. Now the backdrop to this prophecy right here is, you know, the Antichrist, the picture of the Antichrist. Antiochus 
What he did, if you guys remember, he went in, and I've said this a million times, he put up an altar to Zeus, he sacrificed a pig, he took the blood, he smeared it on the walls of the temple, and he made the Jewish people drink the blood of the pig, he eliminated the daily sacrifices, and he made them sacrifice a pig every month. I mean, he was trying to just annihilate the covenant of God, right? And so what ends up happening is these guys, Mattathias, the priest, the preacher, they rise up during the persecution. They understood the wickedness of this desolation. And so he began his education and his instruction to begin to tell the people who God is and what God would have them to do at this time. And so now the battle began. Now is this going to be easy? No, you guys, it's not. Look again at verse 33. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame. In other words, they're going to get burnt by captivity and plundering. And so Antiochus IV, you know, he didn't just take it, you know, no, it's no big deal. I'll let them go ahead and do what they're going to do. No way. You know, he came against them. He persecuted them, put them to death. He burned them. He imprisoned them. He sent them away as slaves. And so it was a crazy thing. And so you read that and you're like, man, I don't get it. Why would God allow that? Why does God allow these difficulties in the church? Why does God allow these difficulties in my life? And, and we read next, it says, Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help. In other words, there would be a, a small army that would help them. Not many, but they have a little bit. It says, And many shall join them by intrigue. And that means that they won't be sincere. So there's going to be some that are going to join them, but not sincerely. Okay, And that might even mean that they were kind of like set there as spies. Maybe. Because look what we read verse next in verse 35. And some of those of understanding shall fall. And so here now you got the teachers and the preachers. you got those who do understand the word. And it says they fall. And what again this is talking about is their persecution of them being put to death. These guys who are making a difference, you know, they're going to be persecuted. But notice the purpose, you guys. It says right there to refine them, to purify them and make them white until the time of the end because it is still for the appointed time. And the Lord here, he says, you know, you guys, I want you to know this, that you're going you're gonna to go through some difficulties there when you're fighting, you know, Epiphanes the Fourth, this guy Antiochus. You're going to go through some difficulties. People are going to die. But I want you to know that there's a reason. Because what happens when we go through the difficulties of life is God refines us. God purifies us. God makes us as white as snow. God does a deeper work. And I know we don't like the difficulties and we don't like the hard times. It was up to me. I tell you what, I would always have like, don't you guys like hate the heat? Kind of. And you're like, you know, I honestly, a friend of ours gave us an air conditioner. We didn't have air conditioning for a long time. And we, get, we have a house and it gets so hot. And uh, the other night, uh, it, was, uh, it was time to go to sleep and I was in my living room. And my air conditioner unit is right there. And I told my wife, I said, no, I'm going to sleep here all night with the air conditioning on, right? And she said, no, we can't do it. We can't. We can't afford it, right? And remember, guys, we got to submit to our wives, right? Ephesians 5.21, right? 
<laughs> so I said, okay. <laughs> and I don't know how this came out, but I went up to the air conditioner and I turned it off and I said, good night. I, I said, I love you. <laughs> Why is that? It's because we love it like just the right temperature, right? Not too hot, not too cold. That's the way we are in life. And if anything, if we get, you know, shaken up or, you know, difficulties happen, then, you know, we don't like that. But I want you guys to know that James 1 verse 2, it says, when we fall into various trials, he says, count it all joy. Why? Because then that what God is doing is he's doing a, a real deeper work. If you're not going through any trials, then you know what? It's probably not good. It's better to go through the trials. It's better to be in the fire, even though I know you don't want it. But God's doing a work. God is doing a work. Look what it says right here. It says that they will fall, but in notice it says to refine them, purify them, and make them white. You see? And that's what the Lord is doing, right? We know Psalm 119, verse 67, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You know, and there's that individual, and they have the tendency. You know how it is when your car and the alignment's off, and it goes to the right or it goes to the left, right? Because the alignment's off. Well, here's an individual, and they have this inclination always to go astray. There's not that consistency, right? And, you know, uh, the Lord says, you know, you know, this is the truth, man. It, before you're afflicted, we might have that tendency to go that way. We might have that tendency to go astray, to go away. But then what ends up happening is God allows an affliction to happen into our life. And this guy right here, he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And that's where we want to be. You know, and so there's purpose. I'm sure you heard the story about the shepherd. Um... And he has a responsibility to take care of his sheep. And so they say that whenever a sheep would have a tendency to stray, um, it would obviously concern the shepherd. Why? Because when a sheep strays away, when a sheep you know, no longer is in the fold, when a sheep you know, goes its own way, then it becomes vulnerable to predators. And so what the shepherd will often do is he'll get that sheep that has a tendency to stray and he'll get his uh, rod and he'll break the legs. Now, how many of you here have ever had a broken leg? Okay, that's why. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, you know, but um, you're probably just not being adventurous enough if you haven't broken a leg yet. Anyways, you know, so what ends up happening is that sheep has a broken leg and the shepherd picks up the sheep, the lamb, and he puts it on his shoulders, right? And he carries it with him. And it's during the affliction and during the fire and during those hard times where, man, you just would never have wanted this. God is giving you an opportunity to deepen your relationship with him. And when that you know, sheep is on the shoulders of the shepherd and the shepherd's carrying him through life and through the difficulties, you know, then the, the eventually time progresses, the leg gets better, he puts the little sheep down and now... It's so used to being with a shepherd, which is really what our life should all be all about, that he doesn't stray anymore. Because look how good God is. See? And that's why when you go through these difficulties, and you know, they're, they're going to fall, he says, there's a purpose here. I'm going to refine them. I'm going to purify them. 
And I'm going to make them white. White. Sometimes I, I pray. When I pray in the morning, I have like times of just confession and then try to confess my sins to God. And I always will go over to Psalm 51 and where you know David is just talking about. It's a whole prayer of confession. And uh, I just love the way he says, wash me and, and, and make me whiter than snow. You see, that's what the Lord wants to do in our life. And those difficulties that we go through, you know, what we find is that God is doing a work. You know, we even read in Exodus 1.12, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And so, you know, some of you here, and I know some people, they go through a lot of hard times. But if you stay focused, if you lift your eyes, God is going to do a wonderful work. I was telling a guy yesterday, the greater the pain, the greater the purpose. There's a guy who accepted the Lord on Easter Sunday. And what had happened was Easter Sunday, you know, we did the altar call and people came forward. And this guy, you know, felt God tugging his heart to go forward and receive the Lord. And, uh, and he, in, his, in his heart, he said, okay, if Manny asks one more time, I'll go up. And then I asked one more time. And then he said, okay, if, God, if Manny asks one more, one more time, <laughs> then I'll go up. And eventually, you know, he kind of ran out of those one more times, right? And so it was kind of funny. Afterwards, um, I was hanging out, just talking to people, fellowshipping, and then I was heading across the, park to the, across the street to the park, and then he happened to be crossing the street at the same time, and so we ran into each other. And then we started talking. And then... You know, asked him one more time. It was like God had set up a divine appointment. And, and he accepted the Lord right there. And man, let me tell you, when he accepted the Lord, it was like one of those conversions that just really, you could just see the passion. You could see the excitement. You could see, man, this guy really got touched by God. But immediately, the trials began. Furiously. And this guy was going through some heavy, 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 heavy trials. And so, um, you know, we're praying. We're just trying to minister. Different brothers from the church, so good. We're so blessed with so many brothers, you know, just talking to him and stuff. And then, you know, a couple weeks ago, he said, I want to get baptized. And so um, we said, cool, you know, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go. We went yesterday, you know, for him to get baptized. And here's what happened. I'll make a long story short. Because of all these different things that he was going through, because of all the trials that he was going through, because of the depth, you know, in the pit of what he was going through, a lot of his family came out to the baptism. And what ended up happening was we had the opportunity to witness to just a grip of his family members. And the next thing you know, it was so cool to see he got baptized, his wife, his son, they all accepted the Lord already, and then his brother Sergio, and then... You know, next thing you know, his niece says, I want to accept the Lord. And she gets baptized. And his nephew, Christian, and then his nephew, Adam. And, or, you know, I think it's biologically, you know, I think it's a compa, compa, son, something like that. You know, and just, it was just so amazing for me to see. And as I was there talking to people, we were there witnessing the wonderful work of God moving in a powerful way in a family because of all the hurt and pain and difficulties that they were experiencing. And you got to know, 
like we read right here, that, you know, that's, that's the way it works. You know, you guys, when you go through life, and I need to tell you this, when you go through the difficulties of life, you have a choice. You can get bitter or you can get better, right? I know that sounds cliche, but it's true. The same sun that hardens the, the wax melts the clay, right? Same sun. And so my encouragement to you is to always have that, that understanding. You know, recently we went camping, and we had such a great time, you know, but there were a couple of things that, that, that were there that were present that aren't, that aren't, I guess you could say, your typical camping experience. Um, we went to a lake, and the water level was really, really low. It was so low, um, it, was, it was, you know, there might be some who would look at it and say, oh, why, why should we come? The water level is so low, and you have, to, you have to walk 200 yards to get to the water. You know how some people are whiners, right? <laughs> but to me, you want to know something? It was cool. Because because the water level was so low, it had this whole it opened up this entire area of sand so that we could set up our volleyball. Okay, now if the water level wasn't so low, we wouldn't have been able to set up our volleyball. And I tell you what, when we played volleyball, we rocked. Our team did, man. <laughs> we won. We had such a great time. Now you can be one. I'll complain about that. Sure, complain. Or you can be one who says, no, God is on the throne. And God is doing a work in my church and in my family and in my heart. And you can be confident about that. You know, another thing that happened is it rained really hard. It rained really hard, man. And you're not used to that. You're like, hey, wait a minute, time out. You know, it's summer, right? But you know what? It was a blessing because, number one, all the kids were, were they were out like on a, on a hike while it rained, like, like flooded. On, and I was just so excited for their experience, to be honest with you, man. Talk about making memories, man. And then we, the older folks, we kind of got all huddled up under this, these canopies and we were able to play some really cool games that I think a lot of times you would have been scattered. Everybody had been doing their own thing. But this brought us all together. And, and all I'm saying is that you can, you can look at it the way that you want to look at it. You can look at it and you can get depressed and oppressed and beat up and bummed out. Or you can look at all these things and say, you know what, no, God's on the throne. God, God is doing a wonderful work and I trust you, Lord. And what you do is when you have your eyes on the Lord, because when you go through the hard times, it's not automatic growth. When you go through the hard times and your eyes are on Jesus, you will grow. See? And that's what God wants to do. That's what God was doing with the Jews. That's what God does to the church. Right? Purifying them. And we see that throughout the scriptures in Job 23, verse 10, the man who lost all his kids. Imagine that, all your kids dying? I mean, I can't I can even begin to fathom the thought. And he lost all his resources. He lost all his health. He was hanging by a thread. And God was testing him and Job knew it. And he said in Job 23, verse 10, but he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Don't you see God's doing a work in your life? And he's making you more like Christ. And the only way that's going to happen 
is when you go through the fire. See, that's what was happening with the Jews. That's the battle past. That's Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And God gave them a great victory. But then, suddenly we get catapulted to the future. Look at verse 36. It says, Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. Okay, so now he's talking about the Antichrist. And I'll, and I'll share with you some reasons that we know that for sure. Now here's the thing. You're like, why is God talking about the Antichrist? You might wonder. Well, when you read the Bible, sometimes the Lord talks about Jesus Christ, right? In the Old Testament. He says, these are the attributes of Jesus Christ. These are the prophecies of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ came, they would be able to identify him. You know, he's going to come riding on a donkey. You know, on this day, you know, 173,000. 1,880 days, boom. There, he, You know, so the, the prophecies about Christ, and then he, you know, okay, he fulfilled them. Now there's the prophecies about the Antichrist. Do you guys ever go to the movies? You won't admit it, huh? <laughs> well, you go to the movies and you see a preview, you see a trailer, right, of the feature that's coming, okay? David was like a preview of Jesus, Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes is like a preview of the Antichrist. It's kind of the same thing. And and so here's the thing. Okay, we're gonna get raptured up before the Antichrist comes, right? If you're a Christian. But maybe there's some of you here today who you don't know the Lord. You're not sure if you're going. You know what? I pray that you would give your life to Christ. I pray you would know how much he loves you. I pray you would know it's not a religion. It's a relationship. I pray you would walk with him. I pray you would follow his path. He'll put a smile on your face. He'll give you joy. He'll give you peace. You need Jesus. But if you're here today and you're like, I don't want him. I don't want him. I want my own life. I want to do my own thing. You know, I don't believe in him. I believe that we're here by random chance. Evolution is what made us. And, you know, I don't think Jesus is the way. I think that, you know, you can go any way you want. I mean, come on, give me a break. Even though Jesus is the only one who died and rose again, even though Jesus is the only one who fulfilled literally hundreds of prophecies, there's nothing like the Bible. There's no one like Jesus. But maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't want, I don't want it. And here's the thing I want to tell you. Okay, you're going to get left behind. Okay? And when you are here, you take out the Bible and you read this right here. Because this is what the Antichrist is going to do. 
That way, at least, you can identify the Antichrist and you won't follow him. You won't take the mark of the beast described in Revelation 13 because this is what he does. This is who he is. If you go back to Daniel 9, In verse 26, it says, And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. So that's Jesus dying, right? Remember we talked about the 69 weeks and to the very day it predicted Jesus would come into Jerusalem on a donkey. So anyways, he's going to die, but not for himself, because he died for us. But the people of the prince who is to come. So the prince who is to come, the prince who is to come, that's the Antichrist. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood and till the end of the war desolations are determined. Who destroyed the city and the sanctuary? The Romans. So the people of the prince who is to come. The prince who is to come is the Antichrist. He's going to come out of the European community. So know that. Revived Roman Empire. That's where the Antichrist is going to come from, Right? In verse 27, it says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week or seven years. And the reason he confirms the covenant for one week, for seven years, you might be wondering, like for example, today, you turn on the news, they're trying to, to, to do peace in Israel, right? And, uh, and, and you need to pray, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, like Henry did before we started the study. But here's the thing. The reason we pray for the peace of Jerusalem is because the only the day the only way and the only day there will be peace in Jerusalem is when Jesus comes. Here, this we see people are trying to to, to make a, a a covenant. They can't do it, huh? It's hard. Imagine that. But but imagine the guy that's able to make peace in the Middle East. This guy's got to be special. He's got to be like none other. Well, that's the Antichrist. It says right here he's going to confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now, the reason it's one week is because there's only seven years left. So if you're here and you, you know, hey, they, they did a peace treaty in the Middle East and all of a sudden, you're, you know, your Christian friends are gone. Okay, now you know what's going on and you know who the Antichrist is. But here it says in verse 27, but in the middle of the week, three and a half years into that tribulation period, things are going to change because he kind of goes in peacefully, but then he gets violent and it says he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. And so what he's going to do is he's going to commit the abomination of desolation Okay, so I want you to know that. Go over to Matthew 24. And Jesus spoke about this. He said, this is something that's going to happen in the future. It says in verse 15 of Matthew 24, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then whoever reads, let him understand. Now it's interesting how he would say, hey, understand. He wants us to understand prophecy. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. You know, don't go, don't go home and get your, you know, your phone. You don't even need it, man. Don't go home. He says, run. 
Let him who is on the housetop not go down to taking out, don't even go down to take anything out of the house. Let him who is on the field not go back to get his clothes. Woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And what that means is if Jesus didn't come in and step in and bring an end to this whole thing, if time would have just progressed, everybody would have died. And so the abomination of desolation, Jesus says here, when you see it standing in the holy place, that's the temple, right? And you read in Second Thessalonians, if you would go there real quick. Second Thessalonians, right after the book of Revelation. <laughs> You're like, where's Second Thessalonians? It says in verse 1, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. He said, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And that's just so simple. It's an apostasy. The church falls away, right? And then he says right there, and the man of sin, that's the, that's the Antichrist, the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And so, again, I hope that all of you guys get raptured, that none of you are here, but the Antichrist will somehow make an agreement, allows the Jews to rebuild their temple, something they're getting ready to do right now. He signs a covenant, he makes peace, but three and a half years into it, he goes in and he says, just to let you guys know, I'm God. A lot of the world, most of the world, will follow him, but not everyone will. And if you're here and then you see these things happen, then, then you know, well, the Bible says that, that that's, that's the Antichrist. That God wouldn't do that, that, that the Antichrist does that. And so back in, in Daniel, and I just want to kind of go through this real quick because I can hear your stomachs crying <laughs> out. Give me a double-double. It says again, I'm, I'm going to go through this real quick. Verse 36. Then the king shall do according to his own will. Now, it's not the king of the north anymore, the king of the south. It's just the king. And he does according to his will. Now, we know that Antiochus IV didn't do according to his will because the Romans stopped him. So this is not Antiochus. This is Antichrist. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, shall prosper until the wrath has been accomplished. And that's the wrath of God. He's going to be there doing his thing until the wrath of God is complete, right? And he shall regard neither the God of his fathers. Now, some people believe that he's Jewish because of that statement right there. But, you know, I don't know for sure. Uh, um, I don't think so because, again, he comes out of the European community. But there is a possibility that he's Jewish, and just coming from that geography, all we know is he doesn't regard the God of his fathers. And it says right here, nor the desire of women. 
Now, because of that, some people think maybe he's a homosexual. Others believe that maybe he doesn't regard the god Adonis, which is uh, a god that the women liked. But most uh, people believe this is in reference to the desire of women. Okay, The desire of women back then, you want to know what it was? That they would give birth to the Messiah. They knew Jesus was coming. And the Jewish women, you know what they wanted? They wanted Jesus, oh, let me be the one. So a lot of people believe that that's basically a statement that says, you know, this guy is against the Messiah. As a matter of fact, Haggai chapter 2 verse 7, it says, And I will shake all nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And that's probably the Messiah right here, right? Anyways, in verse 36, For what has been determined shall be done he shall neither regard the, neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses, that's the God of military power, and, a, and gold, which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with, notice it says right here, a foreign God. And that could mean like an alien God. So this is basically what you see in Revelation 13. And you can read all about it. I don't want to go over time because I'm getting convicted about that. You read Revelation 13 and it talks about how the dragon gives him his authority. What this Antichrist is, is possessed by the devil. He gets his authority from the devil. The foreign God, the alien God is the devil. And that's why he does what he wants. It says right there he does according to his own will because in Isaiah 14, the heart of the devil was, I will. I will exalt myself above the stars. I will ascend. I will be like the Most High God. And you read Isaiah 14 and you realize, man, this is the devil. See, that's how the Antichrist gets his power. And so we read right here, and advances glory and shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. And then at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships and shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but the Antichrist, not everybody's for him. Most of the world is, but there are some that are not. Like, for example, the Jews. One third of the Jews will survive. They're going to go, according to Isaiah 16, they're going to be tucked away in the cleft of rock at Petra. And you're going to have 144,000 that are sharing. And if you're here, like I said, maybe you'll be one of them. I hope you're not here. I, I shouldn't even say that, huh? Um, but, you know, you're, you, there will be some that will fight against him. Most of them, however, will fight for him. And in Revelation 19, we read the battle of Armageddon. Have you guys seen that movie? Armageddon? You guys are sinners. Man, no, I'm joking. That's not about the Bible, but it, you know, it's kind of come to, to mean the same thing, the end of the world. The battle of Armageddon is when Jesus is coming back in Revelation 19. And I just can't wait... You know, he's got the tattoo on his thigh, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's got his robe dipped in blood with which he treads the 
fierceness of the winepress of the wrath of Almighty God. And he's coming back on the horse. We're coming back with horses with him, right? And the whole world is there gathered together. The Valley of Armageddon, the river's dried up to make a way for the armies to be there. And most of them are here to fight with him against Christ. Some of them, however, we read right here, some of them are here to fight for Christ. We'll be one of them. We'll be on the horses. There'll be people on the ground. They're fighting for Christ. But don't worry, you guys. We won't have to fight. Even though I would like to like chop off a devil's head or something, you know, I won't have to because Jesus has a sword in his mouth and he's just going to speak. And I don't know what he's going to say. He might just say, see, uh, I don't know what he's going to say. You know, be gone, be judged, be damned, depart. I don't know what he's going to say, but he's just going to speak it. And then, whoosh, all of his enemies are defeated. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation 19 that he captures the beast and he picks him up. And before he even kills him, he casts him into the lake of fire. You see... And that's why when we started the study today, I shared with you, I said, you know, how do we fight the devil? How do we fight the devil? That's a picture of how we fight the devil. We let Jesus fight him. I'm with you, Lord. I'm, I'm right on your tails, Lord. But Jesus, will you take care of this? Because I can't. You take care of this, Lord. And the Lord says, finally, I was waiting for you to get out of the way. <laughs> Let me lead. <laughs> and Jesus takes care of it. And I was telling you in the beginning, man, you know, we have to, we have to rise up. We have to open up our Bibles. Um, we have to, you know, listen up. We have to speak up. But primarily we have to look up. Because look what Jesus does. He, he gives them the victory. It says right here, because these guys are going to join in the battle and with many ships and he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown. Some of the countries are going to be overthrown, but these shall escape from the hand, from his hand, Edom, Moab and the prominent people of Ammon. That's uh, the area of Jordan today. They're going to escape. So some are going to be overthrown. You're going to have a small section that escapes his hand where the Jews will be preserved. And then it says in verse 42, He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. So some are defeated, some are not, some follow, right? But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. This is what I'm talking about when all these armies are coming, right? And then he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. And so what he does is he sets up his tent between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea right there in Jerusalem. And the devil says, this is my Jerusalem. And Jesus Christ says, no, it's not. It's my Jerusalem. And I can't help but think of our homes, our homes, our families. The devil sets up camp in my family. No, it's not. 
in Jesus' name. No, it's not. And the Lord comes. And it says right here, even though the devil does his thing, yet he shall come to an end. And nobody's going to have the strength to help him. And I just pray, you guys, that we would learn from this, that we would know this, that we, um, that today we would be blessed by this. You know, that we would rise up. You know, hey, I know you're getting old and it's hard for you to get up off the ground. But maybe a study like this or maybe a friend that loves you can come and say, hey, let me help you up. Get up. Stop being so lazy. <laughs> Get up. Wake up. You guys, we're living in the last of the last days. And I don't know what needs to change in your life. Maybe the way that you've been treating your wife or your kids or the way things have been going in your devotional life or your prayer life or your service life or whatever it might be, you know. I, I don't know. Maybe... I don't know. Um, you need to get here on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night or a Saturday morning. I don't know. I don't know. But the Lord's been, I believe he speaks to us and he says, this needs to change. This needs to change. You need to do this or that. You, you need to take your wife out on a date night. Right? Amen? I mean, she maybe she needs to make you some really good food. I don't know. The Lord will, the Lord will show you. <laughs> but just real practical things. This needs to change. Because... We are living at the end of the world. And, you know, when we live proper, not perfect, but proper, uh, there, is, there is power. There is power. And that's what God wants. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that we know, Lord, what's going to happen. We know who wins, and, and we're on your team, and I thank you for that. I thank you for saving my life. I thank you for so many here that you have saved. You love them. They, they gave you their heart. They belong to you. I thank you. And I pray, Lord, if there is anyone here today who doesn't know you who's not a Christian, that today would be the day they give you their life. And just in case there's anyone here, you want to accept the Lord. You want to get right with God. Uh, what I want you to do is just raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. Thank you, Lord, for that house. Hands that gone up. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord, for those hands. The most important decision you'll ever make, you know, to know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven, to know for sure that while you live, you have the life that he has for you step of faith. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. Okay. Lord, I thank you for the hands that have gone up, Lord, and that might be that this is the day, Lord, that you write their name in the book of life. And that's my prayer, Lord. And that from this day forward, Lord, there would be power. And even if it's someone who raised their hand to rededicate their life, or someone who raised their hand because they just want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit or they know something's missing, then Lord, give them, I pray, whatever it is they need. Healing, blessing, Lord. And I just pray you encourage your people, Lord. Thank you for being such an absolutely awesome God. Thank you for being the King of glory. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.